Mayfair 515, Albuquerque Center, Roger, climb and maintain 13,000. Riding down the trail to Albuquerque, saddlebags all filled with beans and Welcome to the City on the Edge podcast with your hosts, Nora Hickey, Mike Smith, and Ty Bannerman. Much like Los Angeles to me. All right, should we, uh, let's see, start the whole City on the Edge. 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 Welcome back to City on the Edge. I'm Ty Bannerman. I'm Mike Smith. I'm Nora Hickey. And we are happy to be coming to you um, two-thirds in person for the first time, I feel like, since the, uh, the pandemic mm, began. It's been a while. We, uh, we're still not, we can't do fully in person because Nora moved to Ohio for some reason. What's up with that, Nora? Yeah, I'm questioning that decision right now. Is East Palestine? Is that how people yeah. say it? Um, I think they say it differently. I can't remember. It's burning. Due to a train derailment full of toxic chemicals. Yeah, and how far away is that from where you are? I looked because I was getting nervous. It's it's about a, I think it's one eighty miles, about a four hour drive. Okay, not not real close. Still close enough. Don't don't drink rainwater. Uh, so how far away are you from Dayton? From Dayton, I'm gosh, I should know this mileage, but it's about depending on where you go, thirty, you know, to fifty minutes. It's quite close. It's the biggest, closest, biggest city. Well, awesome because that is where the subject of our episode was born in, uh, I believe, eighteen sixty-one. I don't have that date. I've but read that it's eighteen sixty-one. DeKalb Boyer. Sellers, although it's variously given as boys, but I think judging by the research um, Nora has been doing, in addition to mine, mm. it looks like Boyer is the more likely candidate mm. of the two names. DeKalb Boyer Sellers, who is known for owning the third automobile in, in Albuquerque, mm. <laughs> uh, participating in two separate gold rushes, um, mm. one in Leadville, Colorado, which I mm. guess had a, a gold rush, and the other in the Alaska and Yukon territories. Um, and let's see, what else is he known for? Oh, being a racist, oh, I'd right, say. Right, right, yeah. Oh, uh, that. Founding, <laughs> founding Knob Hill. Founding Knob Hill as a, as a racist segregated suburb, which... Right. Uh, is kind of what kicked us off on this mm-hmm. research because there's a big mural of Colonel DKB Sellers. There's a big mural of him right off of uh, Carlisle and Central mm. um, next to Fantang hmm. Chinese restaurant. And it's, it's quite laudatory, you know, talking about mm-hmm. out of the low zone into the ozone. And there's, you know, you can find his pictures in Knob Hill because he did found Knob Hill. And there is a, uh, a famous photograph of right. him standing on this sandy mm-hmm. expanse of what was at that point the east mesa um by a huge sign that says knob hill but there's nothing else around except nothing else around yeah. just him and his dog yeah it is an iconic image but yeah and in 2016 uh that was the 100th anniversary of knob hill and i feel there was a lot of ink spilled mm. about him and at some point i went looking into the uh, newspaper archives and over and over again, you see Knob Hill listed as a uh, an entirely Anglo housing Whoa. development, which 
It's definitely surprising that that's never mentioned by anybody because mm-hmm. it's not exactly a hard to find. People are embarrassed. Fact. So we are talking about him and we are talking about Knob Hill. So I thought, you know, Nora, maybe from the faraway uh, perch of Ohio, why don't you tell us about your experience of Knob Hill in Albuquerque? I associate my first time in Albuquerque with Knob Hill because as I was researching, and at that point I was far away, but in Wisconsin, so a little closer, but still pretty far away, had never visited, um, got into UNM for grad school where I met you two rascals. And when you look it up, but everyone was like, Knob Hill's the best area and the safest area. And, you know, so I thought, oh gosh, I better end up in Knob Hill. It was on Craigslist that I found the place in Knob Hill. And it ended up being a little bit funky. It was the basement of um, a woman who owned a home in Knob Hill off of Monte Vista. It was right by, it was right by the old, that old school pharmacy soda shop fountain, model pharmacy. They had that sign where they never changed the changeable letters and it always said, we have no common sense. Hilarious every time. I liked how they never replaced it. Like, (laughs) why not just get a permanent sign? Um, I like, I like that place. I used to, that's a place Uh, I'd go with like my grandmother, you know, get a little sandwich. uh, I only went there Uh, once out of living there, you know, so close to it. I'm not sure that I ever went there. What about you? What's your take on Knob Hill, your experience? Oh, you know, it's kind of a nice area. It's kind of weird. It's kind of um, because it feels like the university area a little bit, but it's separate from it. It's kind of upscale. The name must have some cachet because why else would places kind of outside it technically take it? Yeah. You know, it does seem like, oh, this is a more upscale, like nice area or something. You know, it's not quite in the heights. It's kind of near downtown. It's derived from one of the earlier um, housing developments outside of downtown. I mean, like, I think first there was Huning Highland. Oh. And then there was Knob Hill, like, not long after that, right? University Heights and then then Knob Hill, right? Kind of snooty, you know? But um, it's uh, kind of a wider part of town, maybe, than than some. Uh, Back when I had a rug delivery job, we delivered (laughs) to a lot of really nice homes that were, like, tucked away in Knob Hill neighborhoods. and And... um, and honestly, when you look at the histories of almost any place, you're going to find some racism in the origins of it and stuff. It's yeah. not not to say we should discount this place as like a valid or interesting <laughs> part of Albuquerque because it had these origins. Like, in fact, I think it's to Albuquerque's credits that credit that pretty much every time this sort of thing has been tried, like mm-hmm. an Anglo-only enclave or something like that, it's never lasted. You're right. Like right, it, it's right. like like after a very short while, it seems like you know that just kind of became unfeasible. So for me, I really like Knob Hill for uh, yeah. a number of reasons. It's probably the most like walkable area in the city. If you live probably like Amherst and uh, between between Lead and, and Central, mm-hmm. then you're golden. Like you walk over to the co-op, walk mm-hmm. over to a restaurant, walk to a little that's clothing shop. Like that nice. that's, that's really appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Probably the most like well-maintained mm-hmm. traces of Route 66, oh, yeah. I'd yeah. say. And that, what are they called? Streamlined, hmm. modern oh, yeah. architecture. Like hmm. the... Uh, the Knob Hill Shopping Center, where the um, where the co-op is, right. uh, Fantang. So I have a kind of an abiding love for. I can't afford to live there, right. even though somehow, like my neighborhood, we we've succumbed to Knob Hill creep. We live in the Highland Business District, is what oh. Our, oh, really? our our neighborhood is officially called. Huh. Um, in a, in classifieds and whatnot, you'll see it advertised as houses in Knob Hill. Do you feel it creeping? Like, is the business? Are the businesses? On Central, coming up your way, are there many some of businesses? them? Yeah, we have uh, 
We got the antique oh, malls. O'Neill's came out here. That's kind of like the biggest. There's a distillery around the corner that I've never been to. All right, well, let's talk about the man. What do you know? The man behind the man, this. The man. All right, so as I mentioned, DeKalb Boyce Cellars. And I, damn it, DeKalb Boyer Cellars. I found it both ways. Sometimes in the same book, I found hmm. it both ways. So, Funny. Uh, yeah, in this uh, Southeast Heights book that you have oh, yeah, there, yeah. It's, he's he's listed in the index as Boyce and in the um, Funny. in the body of the text as Boyer. But uh, I, I think we found enough circumstantial evidence to go with Boyer. So hmm. to call Boyer Sellers, later known as DKB Sellers, later known as Colonel DKB Sellers, was born in Dayton, Ohio, in 1861. He ran a cigar shop there once he came of age, but apparently it went bankrupt and he owed a lot of money. So he left at the age of 19 to head down to Leadville, Colorado Hmm. and search for gold. No idea if he found any, but uh, soon after that, he went to Eureka, California, Hmm. owned a food and tobacco brokerage there until Eastern Concerns Tobacco conglomerate started moving in and and taking over the business and Mm. he um, attempted to sort of fight them in the the pages of the newspapers but um, didn't make much headway so then he went out to alaska to prospect for gold and there i think he actually managed to uh, to make some money until the panic of 1896 when he lost a bunch of money and moved once again to farmington new mexico with his wife Hmm where he founded the Farmington Hustler, hmm. the first newspaper in Farmington and supposedly in western New Mexico, whatever that means. And it's still a magazine today, right? Uh, well, sort of. It, uh, <laughs> no, that is a <laughs> joke. Oh, okay. Well, that's just the regular... I have no, is the regular Hustler still available? I don't know. <laughs> Nora, do you know? Um well, I do think so. It sort of is still going. It merged with the Farmington Times uh. in the early 1900s, and the Farmington Times is still going. So, but I don't think he made much money at it. In 1903, he came to Albuquerque. He bought the third automobile hmm. in Albuquerque, which uh, kicked off a lifelong interest in cars, hmm. uh, and he became a huge automobile booster hmm. at that time. You know, we often talk about how cars led to the expansion of cities in the west and i think Mm -hmm. he's kind of like a one-man embodiment of that because cars allowed him to start um he bought up a bunch of land south of the university Hmm. and he started selling it as a place to get away from the 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 smoke and and noise of, of downtown albuquerque people some people thought he was crazy because it was too far away Hmm. Um, but he thought that since cars were going to be um, a bigger deal, that he could probably sell some stuff there. So he did, and hmm. and he began uh, University Heights and made a small fortune hmm. selling um, selling houses in the uh, the student ghetto. Um, supposedly, there is a lot of land there that he kept empty for decades. Hmm. Um, and the reason he said he did it was because he buried his hunting dogs there. So 
if you live in the University Heights, aka the student ghetto, you might be living on his dogs' right. graves. By hunting dogs, he means the bodies of his political enemies. Sure. <laughs> That's right. No, the dogs he hunted. <laughs> oh. He hated dogs. Oh, yeah. uh, he loved dogs. Um, <laughs> he listed his uh, main hobby as dogs. Like that was a, just dogs. Ah. Period. We've covered some dog graves. There's also the um, Ernie Pyle Library dog. Uh, dogs? Yeah, that's right. Dogs are very important. University Heights was uh, advertised as having plenty of parking places for cars at the retail areas. Mm. So this is really kind of the beginning of Albuquerque's urban sprawl in some ways. Wow. In 1907... He uh, led the charge to change the name of Railroad Avenue to Central Hmm. because he didn't think anybody would want to invest money in a city whose main street was called Railroad. Hmm. Well, he made that street any more boring. As I said, he was a big automobile automobile booster. He was the uh, the president of the New Mexico Automotive Society. The father of sprawl. As well as the Ocean to Ocean Highway Society, which uh, ties in with what we were talking about last episode. Um, No wonder he didn't want railroad. He's so pro car. He's all about the cars. So the Ocean to Ocean Highway Society was an attempt to link the loose network of roads in states together to form a consistent, reliable way for people to drive literally from coast to coast um at that point this is about 1913 or so there was no federal um initiative to create a highway system it was all entirely up to the individual states so there were people in numerous of these states who were trying to get that together and there were competing interests there was uh, we talked about the old trails highway society last time Hmm. nora was that uh yes of the trail right so that was actually kind of a kind of a competing group and then ocean to ocean highway society he was the president of that and he was uh this is actually at a time when um he was elected as mayor of albuquerque Hmm. so one of his big uh initiatives was to try to get the um, ocean to ocean highway to go through Albuquerque hmm. instead of bypassing us entirely for Pikes Peak. Uh, the Pikes Peak Ocean to Ocean Highway Society wanted it to just go through Colorado, right, and just skip New Mexico altogether. And there was a lot of politicking over this. But at the end of the day, the roads were such a complete mess that um, – there were directions that he gave to people who were coming. Like one of his duties was to help people come through the area if they were going to Los Angeles. Hmm. So he would give directions to people like, well, you follow uh, this mountain range 80 miles south. He's talking about the Manzanos. Um, there's a, a stick in the fork of the road that has a piece of paper tied to the top. And uh, you take the ruts that lead off to the right, and then you're on your way to Los Angeles. Um, There were crossings of the Rio Grande near Socorro, where during the the summer rains, they had to have um, people who attempted to drive across would would immediately get flooded, and oxen would have to haul the cars out. Uh, Locals would charge some money, and then they wound up putting in a ferry system, and then later a bridge. 
Oh my gosh. As part of his initiative to promote this uh, ocean to ocean highway system, he created the first automotive race from Albuquerque to Santa Fe in 1912. Hmm. The winning car took nine and a half hours to get there. Oh my gosh. Amazing. (laughs) This is the level. What did they? Oh, wow. So City Fathers created the drag racing culture here. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Right. You just be like, I'm participating (laughs) in Albuquerque tradition. Um, He made the newspaper in, uh, in, I don't know the exact date, I'm sorry, but like 1909 or something because he bought two Oldsmobiles. Which is very exciting. That was a big deal to buy two of them or the type. Buying two of them, just two cars, was you know incredibly uh, uh, conspicuous. I hope he gave one to his wife or another family member or something. (laughs) So too crazy. Who knows? Despite all that, he was a notoriously bad driver, and his wife would not allow his son to ride in the car with him. Hmm. (laughs) So as I said, he did become the mayor of Albuquerque in 1912. Seems to have been noted for a few things. He paved streets, hmm. the better to drive cars on, of course. He uh, suggested putting signs on the homes of people who had tuberculosis, wow. like as a stay away from wow. these people kind of thing. It did not pass the city council. Hmm. He closed down a brothel on uh, First Street, uh, what they called the Old Arcade. Wow. Um, and... He provoked a huge outcry from his fellow Democrats when he promoted Thomas McMillan to chief of police, and they attempted to recall him. Uh, He survived the recall, but he did not uh, gain re-election the following year. He then became a state senator from 1913 to 1921. He was the manager of the first New Mexico Territorial State Fair. Wow. some odd stories about that. One that I'm, I feel like this should be a segment. Hmm. Bullshit or not bullshit. So uh, you guys can vote. Sure. I'm going to put this dog out because he's an idiot. Uh, 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 Wait, another on? founder of that state fair I know was M.S. Otero, who we covered in the episode about Tejon, the uh, ghost town north oh, of the yeah. Sandias. Yeah. And he was like uh, a guy who used his political clout to... Uh, disenfranchise a ton of people saying like you may own the town but i own all the water rights and the grazing rights and uh you know great yeah built himself into i'm sure it was a lot of uh well-connected bigwigs that were behind all that so the story is that he um he thought it would be really fun i guess to have um a faux shootout between a group of Diné natives and the uh, U.S. Cavalry Branch that was here in town um, as part of the, the Territorial State Fair. But he got word from one of the uh, Diné that they were actually going to replace their blanks with live bullets and just kill the cavalry members. And so he, he uh, disarmed the Diné and instead put on this um, sort of uh, charade where they tied him to a tree and then he was rescued by cowboys. So what do you think? Bullshit or not bullshit? Just an embarrassing story. He should never tell anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Cringe. Mega cringe. What you described about him, I'm going to say not bullshit. Not bullshit? Okay. (laughs) Wasn't he 
big involved in getting statehood. Like he was, that was a big yeah. He was a big cause booster. of his, right? He brought out a bunch of congressmen hmm. um, on a on a rail car to hmm. visit uh, New Mexico. Hmm. That's another weird story about um, a Diné guy, <laughs> actually. Hmm. So the congressmen were worried that people in New Mexico didn't want to be part of the U.S. Uh, a state. And by, by that they meant, you know, um, Hispanic and Native American people. And so uh, oh. um, DK. I've heard this story. It's crazy. Colonel Sellers <laughs> um, got a, a Navajo guy, a Diné guy, to deliver a speech entirely in, in Diné. And then he would translate it for him. And it was like that Homer Simpson moment where I'll step on your foot and you start talking and then when I take my foot off of your foot you stop talking so the Diné guy did it and um, he just translated a speech you know it was not translated in any way he was just making stuff up about how much the Diné wanted to be part of uh, the United States and apparently the the novelty of it and then the uh, you know amazingly the guy uh, he just said all the right things, and the Congress people were uh, were very taken with it. And supposedly that had a lot to do with uh, them coming oh back gosh. with a favorable impression. We're we're in a place that was just founded on lies. Mm-hmm. Like there's that. There's Albuquerque, the guy who wrote the letter about Albuquerque. Like we have 30 families here. Make us a via. Yes, we had, we had 12 families or something like that. <laughs> Early on, yeah. I mean, the founding of Rio Rancho. They were like airbrushing pine oh cones onto junipers and like painting Amazing. mountain streams into the stuff, saying, wow. "Come, come oh. out here and find all this stuff." That's another one. Yeah, just lies. (laughs) (laughs) But it's still a great place, just not in the way it was represented. (laughs) Sometimes you got to trick people to get out here, I guess. Do you guys know who Tom Mix was? Oh, the uh, famous cowboy actor that made Las Vegas, New Mexico famous. So apparently he was one of the cowboys who rescued Colonel Sellers from being tied to the tree during the state fair. Um, performance and a Hollywood producer was on scene and Hmm. recruited him then and there, which really that's connected to that. Yeah. What? That's (laughs) That's... crazy. There's a really interesting mini doc on YouTube about Las Vegas being the, the small town in America that has most consistently made movies for the longest time. Like they've always made movies there since Tom. Interesting. Wow. And there's a ton of, Settings up, uh, settings up there that are used often, including that big hotel. Yeah, that's in like some the cool downtown? horror movies and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. no, no, no. This well, just no, no, rewatched no, this Red out. Dawn recently. Looks what is it? Red Dawn. Red. Oh yeah, that's filmed in Las Vegas, which huh. is so yeah. weird. It is weird. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, huh. it's supposed to be huh. like West Texas or something. It's supposed to be Colorado, I think. Yeah. I was surprised to learn recently that the original Muppet movie was filmed in Albuquerque. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that fact, but I can't find a single part of it that huh. looks like Al- Like, I've watched huh. it since I okay. read that, yeah. but I can't see anything that huh. looks like Albuquerque. We could, yeah. Yeah. We could do some more film episodes. We'll do a Muppet a movie episode. That'd be interesting. Was it filmed here or not? We can just really try yeah. to track it down. Huh. Yeah, I did go to a Frog Legs restaurant here in the nineties. <laughs> did Froggies. you? Yeah. <laughs> One time. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was a that was the plot point. Plot right? of the movie. Yeah, I hope not. 
remember them not being good enough to franchise into a restaurant idea. So. All right. So I feel like we need to talk about a couple of the negative things about this game. We've already mentioned the um, Anglos only. Mm-hmm. Uh, we call him Colonel. Not a Colonel. He's not a Colonel. <laughs> but is that stolen valor? I don't know. Yeah. Can we all just give ourselves military titles? Like we certainly could Colonel in the Ty 19th, Bannerman. early 20th century. Like <laughs> everybody like was a professor or oh, a yeah. colonel or a captain. Oh, like Elvis's uh, promoter, mm-hmm. uh, Colonel Tom Parker. Not a Good colonel point. either. Yeah. yeah uh, you just call yourself Colonel. Huh. I mean, I guess you probably Guy still could. Maybe people would get madder at you yeah. now. Huh. Um, he had one son named Harold. They went into business together in the 1920 or so. His uh, son became completely alienated from him and basically refused to ever speak to him wow. af- after that because he considered his father to be unethical. Wow. So. But there's something there. Yeah. Yeah, that does seem pretty strong. Let's. Uh, he drank several shots of whiskey with his breakfast every morning, according to uh, according to his wow. <laughs> so he was always granddaughter. Drunk. No wonder he was a bad driver. Um, he lived at the corner of Silver and Vassar. I guess this isn't a negative fact. Uh, he lived at the corner of Silver and Vassar and collected shields and knives. So, uh, interesting. <laughs> kind of a early mall ninja. Huh. Um, <laughs> so early 1916, he. Built a water tank that had no water in it at the top of Knob Hill because he wanted people to think there was water, enough water up there for them so they would start buying the lots that he was plotting out at that time. Um, The water tank, by the way, is still there. Have you seen it? Yeah, it's incorporated into a house on Carlisle. If you go south on Carlisle from Central and look to your right, you'll pass a house that has like a big, looks like sort of a kiva. Huh. Like a two-story kiva, adobe, or sats adobe, that. and that right. is uh, that is that old water tank, which, Crazy. as far as I can tell, never had any actual water in it. Interesting. I wonder if it's a room now or just a. I saw a picture of it as like a, yeah, it's like it's hollow. Like huh. there's no um, upstairs. It's not a two-story hmm. thing. It's just a really big room, like a big living room. Huh. So he, uh, huh? Oh, go. No. So he plotted Knob Hill in, uh, in 1916. Hmm. Uh, he named it after Knob Hill in San Francisco because it was exciting. Yeah. I looked that up. That was. Yeah. Apparently, I always thought it was from Noble, like, because it was like the rich part of San Francisco that it was named after. Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to write an article called Albuquerque, California, where I talk about the influences of California. Because nice. it's kind of like all these westward forces went that way and then came back. And uh, there's a ton of like developments named after California-related things here, and so on. But um, but uh, in San Francisco, it was originally called California Hill for a California street that went up it, and all like the early railroad rich people lived along this road. It was destroyed during the uh, earthquake, oh. uh, the San Francisco earthquake. But it was from the term nabob, which meant a rich person person who went to the east and made a lot of money there, probably what? selling opium illegally and stuff like that. Oh my and gosh. then came back and um, was applied by railroad workers to uh, to uh, that knob hill there. Because that's where all the twits lived. I guess, yeah. The, the, the rich knobs, you know. The rich snobs. Yeah. Nabob hill. And the, and the word has like an Urdu etymology. It goes way back really? to like uh, British colonial... Uh, you know, oh. invas- invasive stuff in uh, in um, India. Huh. 
Whoa. And uh, pretty Good wild. Find. Yeah, it was just it was interesting. I mean, but um, yeah, I, there's, yeah, anyway, there's that. And then in, in like Britain, you call yeah. per, somebody a knob and that means oh. they're kind of a kind right. Of dick. Right, right, like, right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's pretty, pretty unflattering in any of it. That's true, yeah. I guess nabob's not the worst. I think people probably think it's from Noble. I bet that's a common noble. assumption. Like, <laughs> right. you know, like the hill where the nobility live or something. <laughs> but um, but uh, it is, and it does refer to rich people. Ah. But um, there's a, uh, Nixon gave that whole speech of the nattering nabobs of negativity yes. or whatever. Like, right, right. I do remember that. But um, yeah, interesting. You know, Another house that you pointed out to me recently that he helped build was that uh, one on Tulane, two twelve Tulane that went up for sale recently. Yeah, a house. one point three five million. Yeah, or something. I went and found that. That's still very picturesque. It's yeah. like an interesting, like cabin basically in, right. in the middle of town. Um, oh right! Um, if you look it up on, uh, yeah. where do you look up real estate? I yeah, Zillow or something. Zillow. Yeah, yeah. let's say Zillow. Google.com. Two twelve Tulane. Yeah. South. It's a it's a log cabin. Yeah. Which. Yeah. yeah. Hope maybe they'll bring it down in price to like. Yeah. yeah. Just, right. If you're a Give fan us, of the podcast uh, and would like to buy us an expensive house to record. After us. we raise Elephant Rock, we're still working on that one. Oh yeah, we got to get back to that. <laughs> we got distracted. I blame COVID. Yeah, it's all COVID's fault. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he uh, he started his drive to get people to Knob Hill in 1916. But it didn't really get going until about 1925, at which point the Granada Heights portion of Knob Hill hmm. was begun. So Knob Hill, it turns out, is actually six individual subdivisions. Interesting. So it says if you go clockwise from northwest, there's Monte Vista, which is yeah. where you would have lived. The fire Nora. station, Monte Vista fire station. Yep. Which makes sense, yeah. Uh, college View, so east of that. Broadmoor, I don't know where that is. I've seen that Mesa, street name or something. Yeah. Mesa Grande, uh, Granada Heights, and then it says the eastern half of University Heights. So hmm. uh, I guess that would be the portion that's kind of abutting Girard. You know, that's where all the uh, the streets, the north-south streets are named after universities, hmm. uh, which was his idea, apparently. Oh. Huh. He shaped uh. so much of... Yeah. I mean, jeez. So, Granada Heights in 1925, then Monte Vista in 1926, then Granada Heights, then College View, then Mesa Grande is the order. Commercial strip, so right along uh, Central there, development began in 1930, but the Depression kept it going slow Hmm. until about 1937, when... Uh-oh, Mike's mic is being manipulated by the dog now. Um, 1937 is when Central, that portion of Central, became part of Route 66, and that's when development really took off. Wow. A 1940 advertisement states, There will never be another Knob Hill as close in, entirely Anglo, and with the most wonderful view of valley and mountain, rich soil, perfect drainage, and above the smoke and haze of the city. Better select a lot now on present terms of only $10 cash and $10 per month. 
And I will note that as late as 1948, the Knob Hill Shopping Center's uh, drugstore advertised a, a soda jerk um, position for Anglo only. So that, wow. that seemed to have been kind of baked into its identity at least as wow. late as 1988, 1948, not 88. That, wow. At least they weren't advertising it directly in 1948. Um, oh, man. And then he lived another couple of years. He lived at that same house, Silver and Vassar, until 1950 when he died at the age of 89. Wow. So that's DK Boy Sellers. Wow. DK Boy? DKB. DK Boyer. Chef Boyer, DK <laughs> Sellers. <laughs> and I wish I could get more information on. Some of the scoundrelly aspects of his right. character, like what was the fallout between him yeah. and his son? Like, and it doesn't look like there's any uh, boxes of his archives over at UNM either. Mm. I, I tried to see if there was some. There might be some correspondence there, but I haven't had a chance to go digging through oh, it yeah, to see fine. what I can find. Do you know what happened to his son? Um, he moved to California. He had a daughter. His granddaughter gave an interview in uh, 2016 for the 100th anniversary of Knob Hill. Hmm. Uh, and I think she died in 2021. Huh. She has some children of her own. Perhaps we could track them down yeah. and demand answers. I've met sellers here in town before. And Have you? They're kind of well off. So yeah. I, like, okay. I, I wonder. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. The family I knew in high school. Interesting. But, well, um, could be. Yeah. He had a son and I believe... A daughter, at least. Mm. Um, so I don't know. It's mm. possible one of them stuck around Albuquerque. Interesting. I know the son. The son went to California. And that's where his daughter, his granddaughter, lived. And mm. yeah, she seemed to. She definitely in her uh, in her interviews, she kind of alluded to a couple of family Interesting. family dramas. Interesting. So it would be nice to know what those are, but uh, I don't have access. to Anytime that you info. get. Uh... A family with a lot of money, there's going to be like infighting and all that stuff. I've so heard, I've heard. I've heard some. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I've only seen this in fictional depictions, but uh, <laughs> no, uh, uh, no. Like uh, my family knows one of the famous developers' families that's in modern times here, and when that oh, really? guy died, it was a free for all. Everybody oh, fighting yeah. for his money, oh, all the God. kids against each other and stuff. Totally. And um, and it and, sounds um, like he was such a character, a strong character, you know strong ideas kind of out there yeah i wonder what he was like like i kind of can't i can't even with all this i can't really get a sense of his like personality or right or right like Just he definitely go-getter seems to be a like kind of a booster in yeah. the old sense of we got to get people here and if there's a little bit of deception that's right. okay kind of guy drinking all his whiskey for breakfast <laughs> You know, like we think know, like, Ty and I think we found the obituary of his mom who died when he uh, was six in Dayton. So well, a young potentially, yeah. Should we read that? Yeah. Can you yeah. give us the yeah. <laughs> Um in the Daily Empire, which was a Dayton, Ohio newspaper, on Monday, March twenty fifth, eighteen sixty seven. It says, on Sunday evening, March 24th, 1867, at 20 minutes of 9 o'clock at the residence of D.K. Boyer, Mrs. Hannah mm -hmm. Amelia 
wife of Jacob Sellers and daughter of DK and Hannah E. Boyer, aged 29 years, two months, and five days. Funeral from the residence of her parents, number 179 Main Street on Wednesday morning, the 27th at 10 o'clock. We'll go down there. Woodland Cemetery. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I, it, sounds, it sounds almost certain. Maybe right? that was... Yeah. That created a void that he was trying to fill the rest of his life. His, death of his a parent mother, early on. Mother issues. Yeah. That was yeah. And I couldn't find yeah. anything about Jacob Sellers, who we, you know, seems like could be his dad, right? Um, but I couldn't yeah. find anything about Jacob Sellers in, in my Ohio newspaper searches that seemed to be him. Well, you get their address. Go knock on their door. See if the, yeah, the Boyer family still exists. 170 years, 60 years ago, some people lived in this house, and I need information on them right now. <laughs> Just go at night. They'll be home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, wow. Well, this is interesting. It's always cool to know this stuff. I mean, I like that Emerson quote that every institution is the length and shadow of one person. Like, you know, there, there is, to a, to a real degree, we do see the effects of people like this still today. You yeah. know, like there's, that guy's presence is still, you know. Right. Rippling outward. Right. The entire time. And it's interesting that Knob Hill sort of retained its identity as a more elite subdivision mm. than like University Heights, which mm. was plotted by him as well. Right. Um, and, you know, fell on hmm. harder times, I guess. Now often derisively called the student ghetto. Yeah, exactly. So, like, like, and I mean, it makes sense that people would want, you know, houses there for students. But like it, it's really like shook, shook off any kind of elitist identity. It's mm. sort of a it's the fault of slumlords. <laughs> yeah. Well. Seriously, I live down there. It's a crazy city. You can't tell all these stories. There's too many. There's like, it, I, yeah, like you start turning over rocks and there's just endless rocks. We'll do a new segment called What's That Guy's Deal? Just, <laughs> just about people whose deals we want to know. <laughs> it's, there's lots it's, of them. We'll yeah. never run out of material for this podcast. We've still got the Don Schrader possibility. Oh. Always. Oh. oh, I'm sure he'd come on and oh that would be he'd be a yell at us at about um catholic catholicism he's probably one of evil. the most recognizable identities in town people oh, that totally. don't know anything about modern albuquerque lore or anything like that know that guy at least 100%. by some description or another um one of our listeners adric as a matter of fact he posted a picture that was at the mall uh, that appeared to be a glamour an shot adver- yeah, yeah a glamour shot that. of don Schrader, like advertising yeah. i don't know i was like and, and i would love I to know the context of that yeah you guys have to visit and see yeah. i know he has a cable access show again though. yeah he does yeah right Crazy. same studio yeah. that we're considering maybe doing stuff at. yeah yeah that's cool we got approached about that for this show yeah 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 if, what would our listeners do they want us to do that? Should we do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Good question. Would you watch Cable Access? <laughs> I did in the 90s a bunch. There were some great local Cable Access shows. Watch this. Yeah. yeah. Rusty Rutherford. Yeah. 